Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Week 10 edition of Flight Deck, an inside look at the New York Jets. I'm your host, Rich Samini. I cover the Jets for ESPN. This is Jets Giants Week, and ordinarily we'd be pretty pumped about that, but sadly, the teams are a combined 3 and 14. This is not a vintage era of New York football, that's for sure. In fact, the Giants have 31 losses since the start of 2017. That actually leads the league. And the Jets, well, they're right behind them at 30. So there you go. You know that black hat that we saw on Monday Night Football? I think the cat should have waited until this Sunday to make his appearance because that would have been entirely fitting at a Jet-Giant game. Uh, but we'll get into that a little bit more later, and we have a great show planned. But for right now, I just really want to focus on the mess that is the New York Jets. And the number one storyline around the team is Adam Gase. Now, the fans, they wanted him out yesterday, the day before, the day before that. My job as a journalist, and I've been covering this team for 31 years, is to really, you know, put aside the emotion and the passion and, and look at it with some perspective of that long of covering the team. And here's my take. You don't want to fire a coach eight games into his first season. I'm not saying you don't do it at the end of the year, because I certainly think that's going to be something that's talked about, especially after this Miami debacle. But I just think it's bad business to do it now. And here's why. If you pull the plug now and say you give the interim title to Greg Williams, who did it last year with the Cleveland Browns, interestingly, then it, it really hurts the Jets down the road in the coaching market because it just sends a bad message to prospective candidates. Why would a candidate who's in demand want to work for an owner who bails on his head coach after only eight games? Uh, look, these candidates, they might freak that, be freaked out anyway when they look at the Jets because, let's face it, they haven't been the picture or the model of stability in recent years. But whacking the coach before Thanksgiving, good luck with that. I think everybody around the league, at least the people I talk to, they know that Adam Gase is working with a poor roster. Thank you, Mike McCagnan. Uh, in fact, on Monday or Sunday in Miami, they dressed 11 guys who weren't even on the opening day roster. So th this is not a good team. It's not a good roster. And so I think you have to factor that in as well. Now, the one caveat is, unless you're convinced that Greg Williams is your permanent coach. Now, he did, like I mentioned, he did a good job with the Browns last year. He was 5-3 and three as the interim coach. So if you're willing to make him your permanent coach and hitch your wagon to him, then you don't have to go into the coaching market in the offseason. So then you could make the move. I just don't know if the Jets feel that way about him right now. And I haven't talked to Christopher Johnson, but I know him, and I'm going to try to get into his head a little bit here. I think he really wants to work, make this work with Adam Gase because really it was his first significant hire as the acting owner. So naturally he wants to try to make it work. And another reason Gase has had only five games with Sam Darnold, one great game, two poor games and two mediocre games. And actually he did show some improvement on Sunday against Miami. Now I know it, he had that horrific red zone interception. There's no excuse for that, but he actually did play better than he did against Jacksonville in new England. Um, so there is some progress there. And he's got some soft defenses coming up with the Giants, Washington, Cincinnati. So let's see if he improves. I'm not a Gase apologist. He's done a bad job in pretty much 
every area imaginable. So I'm not uh, I'm not apologizing. I'm not making excuses for what's happened here. And even you could add clock management into that equation because in the Miami game, what happened at the end just blew my mind. I mean, he let Miami burn off nearly the entire clock and didn't use any of his timeouts. Uh, he, Miami had the ball for nearly four minutes, ahead by nine. Jets didn't use any timeouts. They get the ball back at 250. No timeouts during the drive. They should have kicked the field goal of 34-yarder with 40 seconds left when Miami actually did them a favor by calling timeout. But he continued with the drive, ran another four plays, and then kicks the field goal, again using no timeouts. And by the time they scored the field goal to get down by six, there were only 15 seconds left. They had virtually no chance to win. So he admitted that he screwed up. He should have tried the field goal earlier. That way he could have kicked deep to Miami. Hope you stop him three and out. You use your timeouts and you get the ball back. Even that would have been a long shot. But I was really, it was, it really blew me away that he mangled the clock the way he did. And of course the capper was calling his only timeout when Miami was in victory formation. So who does that? Uh, it almost looked like he wanted his team to be on the field a little longer and suffer through that miserable game. But, you know, so that was a head scratcher. But I'm going to calm down here for a second and get back to the original point. You don't fire him now. Let's see if he can fix Darnold. That's the number one priority here. If Gase is who he thinks he is, which is a quarterback guru, then he'll get Darnold right. They should be able to put some points up against the Giants. The Giants have lost uh, five in a row. They're giving up 32 points a game over that span. They're 29th in scoring defense. They're 28th in total defense. My God, the Jets should be able to put some points up. But uh, look, anything's possible. They just lost to Miami, a team who is constructed not to win now. And they lost to them. So we'll see. You just never know. And I'll end the quarter by saying this. I'm going to quote the great philosopher Rex Ryan. The proof will be in the pudding. And that's the end of the first quarter. And welcome to the second quarter. Our special guest this week is ESPN's quarterback guru, Dan Orlovsky. You can see him on all the ESPN shows, especially Get Up in the Morning. Also on Twitter, he provides great uh, video breakdowns of quarterbacks and offenses. Dan, thanks so much for being with us. You got it, bud. Good to be with you, Rich. Yeah, so obviously we're jet-focused here, and I know from we've talked many times in the past, you are a, a Sam Darnold fan, so at the risk of sounding like Captain Obvious here with this question, but what's your take on what's happened to Sam over the last three games? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think that there is regression in the result. There's not regression. Like, take the Patriots game out of it, because that's an anomaly. It's an it's a incredibly unique thing that kind of snowballed. Right. Um the, there's regression in the result. There's not regression in the uh, talent that's displayed or the performance. Um, you know, what's happened is, is that Sam, anybody is a byproduct of anything around them. And right now, he's being failed. He's being failed by his, his, his play design and his coaching staff, and he's being failed by people around him. And, uh, you know, a lot of times young quarterbacks try to overcome that and make up for it. And there are moments when Sam has tried to do that, and it has is, is ended up being a poor, um, a poor situation or poor result for him rather than just moving on uh, and, and kind of accepting the, the defeat within that play. Uh, 
I, I've said this, um, and I say that uh, this is Tuesday post-Miami game. I, I'll double down on Sam Darnold. I saw stuff in the Miami game that's absolutely fantastic. And there's a couple plays here and there, but that's going to be Sam Darnold as well. Like, people need to understand, Sam Darnold is always going to be this kind of streaky player. He's always going to have a mistake here or there. That's that's why he's very much so like a Tony Romo or like a Ben Roethlisberger. He's never going to be the refined product that is a Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady or, or somebody that is, is – refined that's never going to be sam and when you say you, you make a good point earlier i mean look we all see the offensive lines had struggles the pass protection has been shaky at best when you say uh play design the play caller how much of this you do you put on adam gase and in what ways is he failing him I put a lot of it on Adam Gates. Yes, they are deprived of talent. They don't have a good roster. No one's debating that. They have, they don't have a true number two receiver, let alone a number one. And as good a career as Demarius Thomas has had, he's he's best suited, and Robbie Anderson is best suited, and Crowder is best suited of being a, a solid three. They don't have a number one tight end. They don't have a number two tight end. They have good number three tight end. Um, and I know Herndon has not been available. So how's he not helping them? You know, I, I think that uh, when you get in a situation where you're incredibly predictable by formation, like they, they ran the same play twice in Miami on the first half on third down. It's the same play they ran against the Cowboys on third and three. They ran it twice where they put Crowder at the number three. It ends up being a touchdown for them against Miami, but then they run it again like 15 plays later on the third down, and it's, and it's a mess. Um, I, don't, I don't – the play design and the play structure is the number one job – not number one, one of the main jobs for a coach when you are designing a game plan is can we block this? Can we block this play? Because if we can't block this play, it's going to end up a disaster. And I don't know, I don't, Adam Gates isn't doing enough of that, where there's a lack of exposure to the offensive line and what they don't do well. And it's resulting in a lot of pressure on the quarterback. I always tell people this. Quarterbacks don't make bad decisions because they're stupid. Quarterbacks make bad decisions because the decision is being forced to be made before they want it to. Mm-hmm. And it happens, it, it's, think about it, I always say like, it's like taking a left-hand turn with oncoming traffic. If that decision has to be made before you want it to, it's going to end up in a lot of crashes. But the ones that you can take your time with and make the decision that is, that, that is one that is thought out clearly, it's an easy left-hand turn. That's why offensive line matters so much. So um, there, there's an exposure to the, the biggest weakness of this football team too consistently. I'm wondering, I agree with you, Dan. I think Sam has a really high ceiling and I love his talent and instincts for the position. But if he is, does it, could it get to a point where this, the lack of support from the coaching staff and the surrounding cast, can it get to a point where it does irreparable damage to him? I mean, like it, it shatters his confidence going forward? Well, I don't know Sam personally, so. This is a completely – to answer that question is often it, – it's an individualized answer, mm-hmm. but the, the answer is absolutely yes. 
I mean, we've seen it time and time again. And I'm on the, I had the fortune of being on my Greenberg show twice a week on Get Up, and I tell Greeny all the time, he, I'm legit concerned because the, the reality is the situation is different for Sam Darnold because his head coach is in his, it's the second head coach in two years. And that head coach hasn't really had success other than a good stretch with a Peyton Manning at quarterback, not even an extended stretch, but a a success with Peyton Manning. And that head coach is now in an organization where he got to have a hand in removing a general manager and then handpicking a general manager. And so the general manager usually hires and fires the head coach. And so it's a very unique situation of does the friendship cloud what could be or is best for the organization at head coach? And does the worry of I don't want to give my young quarterback a third play caller in three years cloud not making a decision that was would, it would probably be the right decision to move on. And so are those fears and friendships going to have an impact on Sam Darnold and his development? Wow. I think you just articulated the fear of every Jet fan right now, Dan. <laughs> it's a reality. Yeah. yeah. And again, I'm not, I'm not a Jet fan. I, I, you know, I, I, I'm a fan of the kid. I think the kid is a very talented player, and I've heard he's a great kid. And so – I want to see him do well. Um, and that's a very real fear is is do the things off the football field cloud um, decision-making. And do you think – now, they play a pretty soft schedule coming up. They got the Giants this week. They play some of the lower-ranked defenses. Do you have any hope? And I think Chris Herndon, for what it's worth, is going to come back either this week or next. Do you, have, do you see a situation where the arrow could be pointing up for the Jets and this offense and Sam by the time the year is over, or do you think they're just too far gone now? I mean, I, I want to be honest. I think they're too far gone. You're not you're not finding offensive linemen. You know, you're not finding those guys and in, in getting them to play better. And I know the schedule softens up a little bit, but um, this league's about players, and they don't have enough good players. And you know, Bob Wischusen is. I wear college football games with Bob. Right. And I know he knows the Jets, the Jets intimately well. And Bob had said to me beginning of the year, like, listen, if this team stays 100% healthy and perfect, then they got a chance to be a decent football team. But once injuries to one guy or two guys come into play, it's going to be a, a, a steep drop-off. And you've seen that. And so they're not going to get more talented over the next two months. And, and that in lies the, the reality of their football team. Yeah, so you you don't think the Jets have a Sam Darnold problem? You think the Jets have a problem helping Sam Darnold? That's what it. That's the crux of the issue. Oh, absolutely. Sam Darnold is is everything you hope for in a starting quarterback, in a franchise quarterback, and a star quarterback. But we have this conversation almost weekly in the NFL, and it's an annual conversation of quarterbacks. And everyone thinks that just because you're a really good quarterback that everyone around you can suck and you'll still be really good. And that's just not the, the reality of, the, of playing quarterback. There's one to two guys in the NFL, and I don't even know if they're, that can overcome 
a severe lack of talent surrounding you. Mm. One of them plays out in Seattle, and they continue to try and, and gather talent. And, and one of them, in some ways, plays in New England, and he's overcome some marquee names, and he's had some as well. But, like, we've got to stop thinking just because the quarterback's really good that everyone around him can be really bad. And he's Quarterbacks elevate guys, but they don't make them – from being an okay player to being a great player, that's just that don't that doesn't happen, Rich. It, it's it, it just doesn't happen. They take good guys, make them better. Really good guys, make them really good consistently. Lesser players and get them to be serviceable, but they don't take four, five, or six subpar players and make them Pro Bowlers. That never happens, and we for some reason we expect quarterbacks to do that in every one of them. Mm-hmm. Well, there you have it, Jet fans, a sobering reality from Dan Arlovsky, who I think knows more about quarterback play than just about anybody in this business. So uh, let's hope the Jets can change this around for, for Sam Darnold's sake. But as, as Dan just articulated, there's a lot of issues surrounding him. Dan, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule. We really appreciate it here at Flight Deck that you spent some time with us. You got it, bud. All right. Take care now. And welcome back. This is the third quarter, the blind side. I think we set a record this week. I had over 130 questions in my Twitter timeline. So I really, really appreciate the feedback. I know the fans are fired up. So I'm going to try to squeeze in as many as I can. And we're going to start out with at CJ Papa 13. CJ and I go way back. Does Adam Gase deserve a shot against the under 500 teams as opposed to the first part of the schedule that was much tougher? Or is it too late? And you might as well cut your losses now. CJ, as I explained in the opening, I, I think you can't cut your losses now. Just play it out. I'm a big believer in the old Bill Parcell saying, your record is, you are what your record says you are. And if the Jets are 1-15 and or 2-14 and and 3-13 at the end of the year, then I think it'll probably be uh, a good time for a coaching change. Next question comes from at Mogefs. Uh, as much as I've been dying for a pass rusher, even if Chase Young turns out to be Nick Bosa, how do you justify not taking an offensive lineman or trading back and taking multiple linemen? Well, this is the draft is five, six months away, so we still there's a lot of projection going on here. But hey, look, if Chase Young is the best player in the draft and you have the chance to get him, you have to take him. I, I don't think there's an offensive lineman that is going to be on that level. So you take Young and you try to fill in the lineman later. Uh, at Matt Romano 19, if the season ends with Christopher Johnson firing Gase, do you think Joe Douglas would be upset? Didn't he take the job pretty much to work with Gase? Uh, the answer to the second part of the question is yes. I mean, he took this job because of his previous relationship with Adam Gase. So I, I, this, the plan was not to lose his coach after a year. And so, yeah, I think he could be upset by that. But again, it depends on how the season plays out. Maybe he'll realize that uh, a coaching change is in the best interest of the team. But there has been no indication so far that he is thinking that way at all. Next question from comes from, uh, I pronounce, I'm going to botch the pronunciation. I apologize. It's Karani underscore Brian Karan. Uh, who creates the plays that the Jets are running. Does Daryl Dowell Loggins have any say in the play creation? Uh, Brian, this is an Adam Gase production. He creates the plays. He calls the plays. 
he he runs the offense. It is Adam Gase's offense. Dowell Loggins has the title of offensive coordinator, but he's pretty much the quarterback's coach. So if there's any criticism or praise that goes with the offense, it goes to Adam Gase. Next question from Hopstar58. What have been the bright spots so far? Wow, Hopstar taking the half full look at this. So, yeah, let's do a bright spot question. And, yeah, there actually have been a few players who have been bright spots. Uh, Brian Poole, Alex Lewis, Ryan Griffin. I think uh, Jamal Adams and Marcus May have been playing well at safety. And Vincent Smith, the pickup, uh, you know, from a, about a month or so ago. Every time he gets the ball in his hands, he seems to make something happen. Smith. Griffin, Alex Lewis, all guys that Joe Douglas brought in, they've been contributing, so that's something positive. Next question, at John Geronimos, if the removal of Gase isn't happening, would the firing of Dowell Loggins be the next step? And just as I alluded to in Brian's question a moment ago, Gase is just, I mean, Loggins is just window dressing. You've certainly heard the expression on the uh, deck chair of the Titanic if they fired Dow Loggins, that would be the proverbial tossing a deck chair off the Titanic. It really wouldn't do anything. Next question from at come on brother seven. Hypothetically, we get the third pick in the draft. Are you taking someone or are you trading back? Uh, which position do you address in either scenario? Well, come on brother. Here's the ideal scenario. The ideal scenario for the Jets is to get the first or second pick. And have the Bengals get the third pick because they need a quarterback. So you trade down to three because Cincinnati can draft Tua or Justin Herbert. And the Jets go down to three. They get a boatload of draft picks and they still get a chance to pick Chase Young. That would be an absolute coup for the Jets. Uh, if it's Miami in that situation as the other team, you really don't want to trade with a team in your division because then you're basically giving them a franchise quarterback if you don't do that. If you're picking third, like you presented in your scenario, you just have to hope that there's three quarterbacks on the board that people want. I think right now it's Tua and Herbert, but LSU kid uh, Joe Burrow has moved up, and by the time we get around to the draft, he could be considered the third quarterback, which would give the chance the Jets a chance to trade down and make a killing and allow them to replenish so many other positions. Next one, Al, at Al, at Al, H-S-H-A-P-N-Y. Do you think McCagnan is glad he got fired last year? If he was still the GM, wouldn't Chris uh, Johnson even fire him after this season's debacle? I think you got it uh, backward, Al. I think if McCagnan were still the GM right now, he would be the guy getting all the heat. Adam Gase would have cover. No one would be criticizing Gase now. It would be all about McCagnin and what a lousy roster he built. And so he would probably be on his way out pretty soon because he would have provided political cover for Adam Gase. So I'm not sure he was glad he got fired last year. But if he didn't, it would have just been prolonging the inevitable. Next one from at Charlie047. Is Darnold's obvious regression due to the offensive line? Bad coaching or a combination? Uh, I think largely the offensive line. He is one of the most pressured quarterbacks in the league, uh, and he does not handle pressure well. Six of his interceptions this year have come when he's been blitzed. 
That's not good. So I think most of it offensive line, but also some coaching because it's Gase's job to design a scheme with hot reads and better protection to allow the quarterback to function. And we obviously has not seen that yet. And our uh, question here comes from at Tom Scozo. Who are we going to trade this offseason? Jamal is out of the question. Would we trade Le'Veon? What's his value? Well, Tom, I don't think Jamal is out of the question. I still think there's a chance they could trade him if they get the right offer. He's not an untouchable, as we discovered during the trade deadline. Now, would they trade Le'Veon Bell? I think they would be interested. But he's got a $13 million salary guarantee next year. He's going to be a 28-year-old running back coming off probably not so great a year. They're not going to be able to trade him unless they eat a lot of that salary, and I'm not sure they want to do that. And the last question comes from at Pirates Life 18. Rich, if you hate the team you cover so much, why not cover someone else? Or have you found a niche in beating a dead horse or trying to poison it so it's continually in a low spot? Well, Pirates, contrary to what you might believe, I do not hate the Jets. I would like to see the Jets succeed. Uh, and I credit you for, if you think I have that much impact on how the team is doing, then, uh, wow, then you're giving me way too much credit there, Pirates, because I am not the reason the Jets are missing the playoffs for the ninth straight year. But thank you of thanking me of me in that fashion. Anyway, that's a wrap on the third quarter. This is the red zone. And, you know, this Jets one and seven start got me to thinking it reminds me of the 1996 season. And uh, for those of you who are probably 30 years old and older, probably remember that year the Jets went 1-15. and In fact, I'm going to have a story on ESPN.com this week pointing out some of the eerie similarities between 96 and this current season. And, man, in 96, I saw some crazy stuff. I mean, there were, it was just a, a really bizarre year because there was some crazy stuff happening. I was actually one day in practice, Keyshawn Johnson, who was a rookie at the time, he hurt his knee and he was taken uh, to the local uh, hospital, I think, to get an MRI on his knee. So I actually waited outside the locker room for three hours until about uh, from five o'clock to eight o'clock at night to, for him to come back so I could find out how his knee was. And I was sitting there at five o'clock and Rich Kotite, who's the coach, left the building at five o'clock and said, oh, he saw me and he goes, oh, don't worry. He goes, I'll be back soon. I'm just going to go out and grab a bite to eat. Well, let me tell you, I sat there for three hours and Rich Kotite never came back. He was a head coach who actually worked banker's hours, which, of course, as you guys know, is just unheard of in the NFL. He was known to take long walks during the day. He occasionally was seen slipping out with his golf clubs. He would go play nine holes during the week of a game. I mean, so it was a really bad, bad environment around the team. It's funny when they, they went 0 and 8 and they actually won a game at Arizona to go 1 and 8. And the next day at the team meeting, Kotite was delivered this fiery pep talk to, to the team saying, all right, we got it now. We're going to make a playoff run. And players told me afterwards they were actually laughing in the meeting when Rich Kotite tried to rally the team from their 1 and 8 start to make a playoff run. Uh, maybe one of the weirdest things that happened that year, Neil O'Donnell, the big free agent quarterback addition from Pittsburgh, comes in. And I'm watching from the press box 
one day in the middle of the season. It's a rainy day, and I'm looking with my binoculars, and O'Donnell is being helped off the field in the pregame warm-ups. So a couple of us in the press box see this. We take the elevator downstairs. We run outside the locker room, and sure enough, there he is. He's leaving the stadium. What happened was he was warming up in the end zone, and as he was dropping back to pass, he slipped on the logo in the end zone. It was the Jet Helmet logo, and he slipped on it because, as I said, it was a little wet outside. It was raining, and he literally blew out his calf muscle. He actually thought it was his Achilles at first, but he tore his calf muscle and was done for the year. And it's the only time I could recall a quarterback or any player, for that matter, getting injured in the pregame warmups. But that that's the kind of year it was. I mean, things just went wrong at every imaginable turn. Uh, Kyle Brady, you guys may remember him. He was a highly drafted tight end. He was in his second year. He had a little case of the dropsies, and we got on him in a little bit in the media. I criticized him. Me, a couple of guys, pointed out that he had dropped a couple of passes. So he goes to us one day, you guys think it's easy catching passes in the NFL? And we're like, uh, we don't know. We never did it before. So he invited us outside on the practice field, got a bag of footballs, and me and another reporter, he actually was throwing fastballs at us, showing us how hard it is to catch a football. And Kyle was a tight end, but he had a pretty good arm, and he was humming some pretty good ones. And I remember one was right at my face, and I put my hands up, and I caught the ball, luckily, but the point of the ball kind of slipped through between my two hands, and it nailed me right in the cheekbone, and it hurt like hell. But I wasn't about to admit to Kyle Brady that he stung me that way, but he was trying to prove a point. We were trying to prove a point, and that was the kind of crazy year it was. Um, one thing I will note about that team, a good bunch of guys to cover. And interestingly, a bunch of those guys went on to bigger and better things in football. Frank Reich, the quarterback, now doing a great job as the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. Aaron Glenn is the DB coach with the Saints. He's been doing a great job. Lonnie Young, the safety, is now the national scout for the Baltimore Ravens. And Marvin Jones, the linebacker, has been a coach at different levels of minor league professional teams. So it's weird. You know, for such a bad team, they had some bright football minds and some future Super Bowl champions. Otis Smith, Marvin Washington, Bobby Hamilton, and Keyshawn Johnson all went on to win Super Bowls at other teams, proving that even though they were stuck in that darkness for 1996 with the Jets, there was light at the end of the tunnel. And for some of them, they reached the pinnacle of the NFL. So I'm happy for those guys and happy, you know, just, you know, those were a good bunch of guys to cover, even though on the field, in large part because of the coaching, they were positively inept. But that's the way it goes. And this kind of reminds me of that year. I'm not saying that Gase is co-tight or they're going to go 1-15, in but a lot of eerie similarities. Anyway, that's a wrap on this week's show. I want to thank my producer, Jeff Scopin, for putting it all together. Thanks again for tuning in. Enjoy the game this week. As I said, not a great game on paper, Jets and Giants, but it only happens once every four years, and so it'll be a really interesting atmosphere in the stadium. It's a Jet home game. I'm curious to see how the fans react. Certainly, you could you will have Jets and Giant fans. It'll probably be 50-50, and you could see some interesting scenes in the stands as fans, frustrated fans from both teams, get a chance to... Uh, 
either support or unload on their football heroes. And that's the end of the show. We'll be back next week. Just remember, when in doubt, don't punt. Go for it.